Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today, we're talking about technology and how it's driving change in the commodities sector, from how decisions are made through to how trades are registered and even the talent the commodity sector requires. To do so, we're joined by Simon Collins, CEO of TradeCloud, Director of Edge Petrol, and an investor in a number of technology-based startups, and former head of bulk trading for Trafigura. Simon's going to discuss three ways in which he thinks technology is going to radically change the commodities markets over the next five years. Simon, thanks for joining us. Hi, Paul. Pleasure to be on the HC podcast. Five years ago, you were running bulk trading at Trafigura. What got you to where you are now and, and I guess the levels of investments and interests you have in, the, in technology itself? Well, Paul, I, you know, I must say that I found the uh, number of services that you can find on the internet today quite fascinating, you know, from healthcare to transport to education, even love you can find on the internet today. And, uh, you know, particularly my area of fascination was was around platforms and how powerful they've become. One of the platforms I found particularly interesting was, was Airbnb, which is primarily a peer-to-peer platform. And, and, and it's parallel with the commodities business because Airbnb is, is essentially a marketplace for uh, rental property. But as we know, every single property on Airbnb is different. And, and that's very similar to the commodities business where, you know, we do have marketplaces for, let's say, commodity buckets. It could be crude oil. It could be copper. It could be corn. It could be chemical products, etc. But they tend to be natural products or naturally occurring and, and differentiating themselves. So there was, there was a great parallel there. And, and when I looked at that, you know, I thought, why not have an Airbnb for commodities? And that's where we came up with the concept of, of TradeCloud, you know, a platform where companies can make offers, make bids for specific goods across the platform to people that they want to invite or, and, and also excluding people that they don't necessarily want to invite. Yeah. So I guess this brings us neatly on to your first big prediction for the next five years, and that is that peer-to-peer trading, OTC trading, will move, but in five years' time will be largely done on platforms, although not all commodities will be on those platforms and not one single platform is going to be dominant in, in your view. Before we get there, can you perhaps, because there, there have been marketplaces for commodities uh, for a very long time, the derivatives, these off-the-shelf products, so to speak. Can you talk a bit about these peer-to-peer platforms and really what problem, what, what are they? What are their commonalities at the moment? And then what problem are they trying to solve? Yeah, as, as you mentioned, the exchanges have been with us for you know, a long period of time on, on the futures markets and also, of course, for listed companies. And you know, the advantage of trading on exchange is that everything, all the interactions are registered by that exchange. So the exchange knows who bought and who sold and what they did and when they did it. But of course, with commodities, for the physical commodities, then those are generally exchanged on a peer-to-peer basis, i.e. one company trading with another company. And the record keeping of that is individual. Yeah, so I think it's it's a combination of 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 marketplace, 
okay, combined with security and and record keeping. And, you know, combining the technology of cloud and blockchain that, that is achievable today, which wasn't achievable, let's say, five years ago. Is it technology that's, you know, this, this concept, this need to have a more efficient marketplace for these peer to peer transactions, which, which does solve, as you alluded to, you know, there's, there's compliance issues, there's financing issues, there's a whole bookkeeping inefficiencies there, but it's been essentially the development of, of a shared ledger. And maybe you can talk to that a little, what those actually are that has unlocked the capacity to do these very complex one on one transactions and actually have them into a marketplace. If we look at some of the issues which have been surrounding the market, particularly this year in 2020, and I refer particularly to the situation with, in Singapore with Hin Yong and a number of other trading companies, part of the issue is really what happened and when did it happen? And there's no centralized recording of transactions, and that makes it very difficult to understand exactly what took place and when we can see that there's been a number of transactions which have been purported to have taken place, but the other side is, is, is denying that. Of course, if you transact on a platform where both sides have been previously KYC'd and identified, then that's no longer a possibility. And the other thing, of course, is that once you transact on a platform, you digitize that contract, and that allows you to move on to also digitalizing the post-trade services and interactions with other service providers, interaction with inspection companies, storage company, financing bank, shipping company, etc. And also allowing for the interoperability or the connectivity with other service providers such as e-documents providers, as an example. And all this should both make, I guess, financing of that transaction easier um, for less specialized banks, if you'd like. But also, it also means the number of human transactions required should reduce the overall costs as well of, of trading. That's a, a key differentiating point for these platforms or a key sales point for these platforms. Not only is it you, you, you've got that compliance aspect, but it should also drive down costs significantly. Yeah, I think the key is visibility. If we look at how a lot of trade finance is, is, goes about today, it, it's, you know, on a trust basis, which is, you know, a concept which is slightly, you know, strange to outsiders that you would trust somebody to provide you with the right information. If you transact on a platform, the tra- platform can validate that transaction and therefore create trust with any party that you should choose to share that thing with you know so in the end what happens is that all parties are on the same page and therefore we no longer need that concept of trust and all the paperwork that is going with that such as paper bills of lading trust receipts invoices etc because we can see who did what and when they did it as i explained earlier yeah which brings us to the point where in some ways the prediction is in five years you platforms will be a dominant form of how physical commodities are, are traded. But there are right now significant, I guess, resistors to, to, to adopting these platforms. And really, that's key, right? You've got this network effect, the need to, to have adoption. And it 
we've had previous guests on this podcast talk to the fact that the dominant incumbents in the trading world, there is a certain level of resistance to that sharing of information, that the, the, the trust aspect. Can, can you perhaps orientate us as to kind of where you're seeing out there, whether it's oil or metals, which types of organizations are pro these platforms and which ones are resistors and, and, and why? As you know, Amazon, when they started, they started by selling books and the booksellers were not very impressed with that at the time, right? So, but they still carried on and persevered and, and it became the largest bookshop in the world. So, yes, the incumbents will resist change because ultimately they profit from that. And, you know, that, that can be anybody who, are invo- who is involved in the commodities business. It's not only trading companies. It can also be, you know, marketing departments of producers, or it can be logistics companies that have tied customers. So I think there will be, and there is resistance to change within the organization, but there is a greater movement foot in terms of security and compliance which we think in the long run will overshadow that resistance. Can you kind of pinpoint for us what exactly is the issue, if they do have it, certain organizations have around these platforms you know, from a trading perspective? Is it, is it just simply putting all this data into a system? What, what do you think actually it is the, the issue that they perceive right now? I think everybody would, you know, wants to keep their customer base and, 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 and that, that's a logical thing to do at the same time, you know, you know, as I mentioned, platforms are great connectors. So if you want to run a competitive process on everything that you do, whether that be warehousing or inspection, et cetera, you can go out through a platform and you can ask for offers for those particular services. If I think about one area which I think is particularly opaque is, for example, oil storage, which has been a very, very key issue in 2020. You know, who has storage capacity? Okay. And it's not only, you know, the the fact that it may, you know, the, the storage company may have leased that to some other company. And then that company may have, you know, how do we know who has what capacity in the market? It's very difficult to find out. But if you have a platform where you can openly offer that storage capacity or bid for it, then again, that creates efficiency and transparency of, of availability and cost. So, you know, our belief overall is that the, the benefits outweigh the downside for those incumbents at the moment. I mean, you are going to only increase the level of transparency in the market, which, as we know, is, you know, if you're a trading house, is a key, well, is, is a challenge to the outsized profits you can make through transformations of commodities, whether that's in time, location, or price, or whatever it might be? Look, this this is very true. But I must say, when we designed Trade Cloud, we, we had that in mind, because we did realize that people did not want to offer everything that they had and show that to the whole market. Okay, you don't want to show your competitors that you're offering a particular product at a particular price. And that's why we created Trade Cloud as a peer-to-peer communications platform rather than an exchange. Is that the same for all platforms or platforms out there at the moment, whichever commodity it might be? Because there are a number of these platforms starting up where actually they are just completely act like a, a, a typical LME or ICE or whatever it might be. 
Look, I think platforms are a bit like trading companies. They, they, they appear to be similar on the outside, but when you lift up the hood underneath, they're quite different. They have different, you know, trading companies have different risk profile. They have different specialities in products, et cetera. And from what I can see is that platforms also have different approach to the problem. And we will see over time which approach is, is the better one. I guess coming towards that sort of five-year prediction, some platforms, you've got two different types, right? You kind of have these private platforms such as TradeCloud and, and a few others, but you also ha- have platforms backed by consortiums. I'm, I'm thinking of VACT, for example. Can you talk a little bit to the pros and cons of those or, or which type you think, you know, without without being as biased possibly, but, <laughs> you know, which which do you think, are they just going to be different types of platforms of different markets? Is oil so complex that actually the consortium pr- approach works, whereas perhaps more fungible commodities like ags and metals, you know, you can have a one independent platform provide the services that are needed. Look, I think again we're going to see over time what is the what is the dominant technology and approach to this particular problem in commodities. I do have have a lot of uh, I do feel that VACT has been successful in attracting some of the large players, but at the same time that does create issues I believe around governance. Everybody probably wants a seat at the table and a say about what what the forward what the forward business will be. And Craig Perong, on your former interview with him, you know, mentioned the issue around competition and whether that is an issue where you have the dominant players all being owners of a platform. And I, I, you know, I take his point there that 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 could be an issue. But what we've seen here with VACT and Covartis, which is now coming up for the agricultural business, is that they're primarily focusing around the post-trade area. And and I can understand that because they do not want to um, fall foul of the regulator. TradeCloud is an independent platform. Okay, that, that means we're very much on our own. But we, I think that from a regulatory point of view, it also makes things simpler. Yeah. Final couple of questions. And, and we will talk about, I think, some of the consequences of, of platforms a little bit later on. But we also don't see in five years' time there just being one Amazon, right? Well, one platform that services everyone. And also there's still going to be some commodities that just aren't going to be on platforms at all. Can you talk to a little bit of those that those two aspects? No, Paul, I, th- I think that's very true. There, there will never be one single platform. It's not healthy for the market. I think different platforms will take different approach. For example, we have localized platforms, particularly in the agricultural business, which are very simple applications which are designed for farmers that sell their product fixed price in small lot sizes, and they also work on a local language basis, right? Whereas we have other platforms who are working more on an English language basis for international trade, bulk commodities or containerized commodities. So, you know, there will be different platforms performing different functions, I think in terms of your second point, I do believe there are certain commodities which are more suited to platforms, and that is the more commoditized area. So, for example, you know, we never looked at concentrates markets, base metals concentrates, because most of the conversation is around the quality. It's not really around the availability and the price. That comes later in the negotiation. So we don't really see 
the opportunity there for people to just offer a particular product on the, on onto the platform and then somebody book them on the other side. We just don't think that that's really really realistic. Yeah, any of those commodities that kind of actually really aren't commodities in the sense that their quality sits on a spectrum, even crude oil to some extent, that adds significant complex complexity, as I understand it, how a blockchain ledger, a shared ledger works. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, the system needs to be flexible. So, you know, if you want to have a platform which is catering for crude oil, then it needs to cater for all types of crude oil. And that's part of the challenge. In saying that, you know, a lot of people said that the corporate bond market would never go onto platform because there's such a myriad of different bonds. They have different ratings. They have different time periods, hundreds of different companies which are issuing bonds. But over the last three years, we've seen an increasing percentage of the market going onto platform. We've got to overlay this with a, a world that arguably is also deglobalizing to some extent and go forming into trade blocks again. D- does that have the potential to disrupt this, this platformization, to coin a word, over the next five years? Look, not wanting to contradict myself, but it, it often means that you want to find something specific, right? So if you want to find something specific and who has it, then, you know, the way to do that is to go out to many parties, Now, you can do that using WhatsApp and email and telephone, but it's not the most efficient, in my opinion. And and there is is a feeling there, you know, that the market is actually becoming more and more segmented. Why? Partly because of what you mentioned in terms of deglobalization. We have many duty considerations at the moment, for example, or tariff barriers or non-tariff barriers. But we also have the provenance of goods, which are extremely important today. So where did it come from? Under what conditions was that product drilled or mined? And, and, and that's also important. You know, and now we're looking at you know, the other uh, concerns around you know, what was the energy consumption, for example, of that particular product. You know, the rise of this, this green aluminium contract, which the LME are trying to promote, and also some of the aluminium producers themselves. So if we want to have a low carbon aluminium, you know, where do we find it? Do we only go to Rio Tinto or Rosal to find that? Well, sometimes they have it and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they've sold that to a trader, but which trader we don't know. So again, platform can assist you in trying to find that. So, and and again, it comes down to efficient allocation of resources. I do believe that platforms for example, Uber, it creates an efficient allocation of resources. You want to find a car and the application will find the car which is nearest to you. Equally, if you want to find aluminium, which is stored in Rotterdam, but you don't know who owns it, well, let's go onto a platform and find out who owns it and who wants to offer it at a certain price. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. Beyond just the ever important compliance, especially in the commodities world where years of profit can be wiped out by issues you know as a result of fines and so forth you've got these ongoing challenges around finance particularly this year uh, but you do have that growing esg requirement and we, we've got an upcoming episode on batteries and a key part of that is look a lot of these components aren't exactly fit esg standards or environmental requirements right and you know we are starting to see kind of these platforms will enable pricing of commodities to be discounted or, or, or increased as a result of where they come from. So yeah, I find that fascinating. I guess moving along, the, the second area. So first off, we've got this, you know, we do, you do believe platforms are going to be present in dominant in the market in, in, within the next five years. 
ultimately enabled by new technologies that have come across, but they do solve specific needs. But there are, as we said, some some resistors out there. The second one, which I think everyone is on board with and is already happening, you, you talk about how data is going to become the the ultimate source of a company's competitive advantage, not just in how it's collected, but specifically how it's how it's then organized. I guess starting off on the collect, I mean, this is something that we hear in multiple conferences. Lots of trading houses are talk, talking about the data engines that they have. Can we start off by talking about sort of over the next five years, how and where that data is going to start being collected? I think this is that concept of the Internet of Things that suddenly our pipelines might have been much more sophisticated than they have been over the last 10 years, for example. Yeah, look, I think information has always been a key competitive advantage. The more information you have, then uh, the better your decision making can be, you know, particularly in trading companies. That's been, you know, something which is very powerful. They have real time information on markets and prices, right? Because they're trading every day. And that is a definite, you know, key advantage. What we have now, though, today is, is more and more data available. And that means more data available to their customers as well. So is knowing the price the key advantage or or is knowing the availability the key advantage or is it, you know, a combination of all types of different data, which is basically outsourced and in-house as well? You know, and what we what we see there is, you know, there's there's a, a clear trend in uh, trading companies to hire more data analysts and also to collect more data. What is important, I think, is is the presentation of that data. I mean, I know from my own experience, being in trading for 30 years, there's so many cases where the traders never touched their internal systems because fundamentally they didn't give them the information that they really wanted. So having data is one thing, and then having that presented on a real-time basis in a digestible format is extremely, extremely important. I mean, what we've done at Edge Petrol, which is a a data analytics company for petrol retailers is really just taking the data that they already have, bundling it up, packaging it, and and presenting it in a way which is really something that they can digest. And what they find by doing that is, is that they can make decisions much more easily. But I think going forwards, when you have more data, and particularly when you have more historical data built up, then this is where you know, AI and machine learning really comes into play where we can start to do some predictive analysis on what might happen in the future under different scenarios. And, you know, there's the concept of digital twinning, which is basically taking a real life scenario and modeling that, whether that be, you know, in a human's context or a machine context or a market context and, and testing that for, for different scenarios and different outcomes. I remember a former guest on this podcast, you know, Daryl Schofield on the episode on refining, talking about how refiners need to be able to get capture more data and better use that data to be able to navigate some of the you know global changes in the market that's upcoming, especially as a result of energy transition. So I've got a couple of questions. Like the first is is this a case at the moment you've got these trading houses that have always been, as you point out rightly, very good at managing data, you know, proprietary information, we should say who you know are increasingly sophisticating their 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 data digestion and presentation models 
are they going to be able to maintain that edge? Or actually, if an integrated major, for example, or an integrated minor, you know, given just how vast their operations are, are they much more better positioned to generate their own data and then start using it? I think all companies need to look inwardly about what their core advantages are. You know, is their core advantage having data because, you know, they, they have more proprietary data than anybody else. And therefore, like I say, if they overlay that with the external data, that, that gives them a core competitive advantage. Or is it something else that's their advantage? Maybe it's their existing network. Maybe it's their financing capability. But one thing I will say is that if your internal rate of innovation is slower than the external rate of innovation, you definitely have a problem. So, you know, I think I think it can't be something you can't ignore it, that's for sure. Yeah, that sent chills down my spine. So I imagine a, a fair few of our listeners as well, that statement. The the second question I had was stepping back, will we have in five years, do you think, a whole series of independent organizations, applications that generate data around a specific set, right? So whether that's satellite data or just data on pipelines, or or will this Will companies strive to try and, and what I mean by that is they're supplying the data and then it's up to the companies to do the digestion or will companies strive to kind of, I guess, ring fence and, and keep their own data internally and it's, and it's going to be kind of a, you know, a world of competing proprietary data sets? Look, again, I think companies will have to look infertly and say, well, okay, what is my core competency or what do I want my core competency to be in the future? Right. Am I going to be a data company fundamentally that does trading on the side? Or am I going to be, you know, a financier of, 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 of the industry, et cetera? Or am I going to, you know, you know, ignore all this technology and basically do everything in the traditional way and have, you know, a hundred offices in 50 countries and keep contact directly with the customer? You know, that's, that's the real key decisions that need to be made. The only thing I would say, though, is that, you know, for me, technology, it runs in a circle. And there's three key points to that. And that is fundamentally the hardware and how that operates, the software, what runs on that hardware, and the connectivity speed. And what we see is that the circle is is becoming more and more powerful. So, you know, for example, you know, everybody's going to be upgrading their telephone from 4G to 5G in the next probably 12 to 24 months, or at least a couple of hundred million people will. They don't really know why they're doing that, but they think it will bring some advantage to them in the future. You know, the speed is going to be significantly faster. Mobile is going to go from being maybe 20, 30 megs, you know, per second to 100 or 200 megabytes per second. So, you know, what is the implication of that? And that's what I think companies need to ask themselves is that, you know, if we have this future where there's more and more data available, it's moving at a faster speed and we can process it at a faster speed, what is the advantage to me? You know, And that, for me, is a very, very key question which all organizations should be asking themselves. But again, from my perspective, what I find is that with a digital journey, the experience only becomes better. You know, I think we can all remember when we booked our first EasyJet flight or whatever flight it was online, it was a pretty laborious task, you know. But now you wouldn't really consider to do it any other way and you would definitely do it on your mobile, you know. So we're no longer going to be chained to our desks. We're going to be relying on mobile and the whole experience will become better and better over time. Yeah, and there's a couple of more elements there, right? So 
all this data does introduce some level of risk. And, you know, we've been having conversations our side around with potential upcoming guests on, on the compliance aspects of data. Like, for example, in accounting, we have very clear rules about how organizations account for things. And, you know, we have IFRS and Sarbanes-Oxley, all this stuff. We are, I think, going to face, and this is probably a broader society question than just on the commodities sector, but at what point, how are we using and this data and how are we storing it? You know, we, if it's getting so powerful that we're starting to take, just spoofing this, essentially psychometric data on counterparty traders, you know, and if looking at how competitive organizations trade and all this side of things, there's, there is a, there's a, an open question mark there, I think, on how all industries are going to start thinking about the data that they hold and the obligations they have around that and also some of the ethical side of, of how they digest that data. Look, there's some very good points there. I think data raises many, many concerns and the transfer of data is also very, very important, right? Are we transferring that data in a secure way? You know, one of the things we want to try to achieve is a more secure transfer of data. Again, commodities is a business where, you know, we've got high value cargoes and we're pushing documents around by email, which for me is just not secure. Or we're chatting on social chats, which can't be monitored by compliance department. So if we believe that the hackers are going to become more sophisticated, and certainly that appears to be the case uh, so far from what we've seen in 2020, and also that compliance is going to become stricter and stricter, okay, then we need to make sure that our data is secured, also that it's transferred in a secure way, and also that it can be monitorable by you know, the relative compliance departments. The other point you raise, which is interesting, is it's not just about keeping data, it's also about deleting data. Because any data that we delete, we need to make sure that we delete that in a compliant manner as well. And any data which is certainly of a personal nature, as we know with GDPR, then that needs to be kept in a certain location, certain format. Yeah. The other big consequence of this is on the fourth part of that that circle of hardware software and connectivity is is the user and i'm not necessarily talking about i mean of course all organizations in the commodity sector will need to bring in more data experts data data focused talent and they interesting enough will be now competing with other sectors for that which means their esg flags need to be a little bit higher but actually at the leadership level you and i discussed off air you know just how rapid this change has been over the last five years and I think the challenge that that's placing on organizations at the C-suite, where suddenly the C-suite needs to have a technology strategy and you need, a, whether it's a CFO or CIO or COO, who has that, she or he has that lens and capacity to tackle these questions and, and orientate them as a competitive advantage for their business. And there just frankly aren't many people out there whatsoever at that level who have, I guess, have sufficient knowledge of this sector and technology and, and, and these changes to go around in some ways. I mean, we're certainly doing a lot of searches for those types of people at the moment. Yeah, and that's interesting that you're doing that, right? Because, you know, we used to call it the IT department, right? And what did they do? They just put something on your desk and, and they told you, you know, to get on with it. And now it's being, you know, deemed as being a, a core area IT. You know, what software am I allowed to have on my desk? How can I use it? What's the security protocols around that? Who can I share this data with? Permissioning, et cetera. So it's becoming very complex. 
But we are seeing, you know, more CIOs rising to the boards of companies. I mean, that's on a global basis, but also particularly in the commodities industry, as people see that as being important going forwards. So I guess moving on to the sort of final prediction, which is really a consequence of the other two, I won't steal your thunder, but do you th- we've had a period of consolidation, significant consolidation over the last decade in, in across all the, the different verticals and across all of the different sort of participants. What do you see over the next five years? Are we going to see further consolidation or you know, is this going to be these platforms, this technology going to allow lower barriers to entry and allow some new, new, uh, new entrants and new startups? I think we shouldn't become too fixated with with the trading companies. I mean, if we look at the oil industry as an example, you know, for a long time we've had the producer trader, you know, the likes of Shell and BP and Exxon, and and now we see the rise, you know, in for example in the Middle East of producer traders, you know, and and also we see refining traders as well because people see that as part and parcel of their business. You know, they need to make forward planning and they need to, to position themselves. And whether that be on, you know, on their crude buying, their refined selling, their freight, their storage, et cetera, it's, it's extremely important. So, you know, yes, there's been consolidation and we are seeing some of the mid-tier trading companies being knocked out and, and more scrutiny being undergone by some of the smaller companies. But that does also lead to a question of, is consolidation a good thing? And particularly, is consolidation a good thing for the banks? You know, what they say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And it would be a shame to move from, you know, to resolving one problem just to create another. I do think there is a place for the smaller, medium-sized trader. Okay. And I do think there is a place for the producer trader. And I do think there is a place for the consumer that optimizes his purchasing power. So everybody needs access to the market. And also everybody needs access to financing. And it's also not to say that the large trading companies want to cater for all areas of the market. You know, their cost structure is still relatively high. And, you know, that's maybe not something that they want to do. You know, in 2019, for me, was a little bit of a watershed because, you know, we saw in in quite a few large trading companies the elimination of external agents. And what that implies then is that they need to set up an office in that particular location where the agent was previously, or they need to stop servicing that location. And that's going to be a decision that they need to make. But again, you know, our belief is that they could find a technological solution to that, to servicing the market, especially at the lower tier, in a more efficient way. You know, in terms of financing, then we certainly see the rise of trade finance funds. And those funds, I think, ultimately will also be technology driven. We see platforms coming like Comgo and Contour, which, again, trying to create efficiency in transactions, trying to streamline KYC processes and uh, trying to create clear identities and permissioning of individuals within organizations. Because there's one sort of potential argument that actually all of this the digitization of the commodities sector, the movement onto platforms, the increasing price discovery, the increasing ability to connect, disintermediate the market. For certain commodities, for sure, there is the potential that the current incumbents face an existential threat from outside the sector with regards to just 
your your frankly your Amazons and your Alibabas of the world saying, well, actually, you know what, break bulk, we can do that ourselves. We can start offering these prices, these these commodities online, and you know take away take it away from traditional traders. Is is that a, where do you stand on that potential likelihood? Look, in some ways, I I believe that you know the commodities sector is the largest e-commerce opportunity out there in the in the B two C area. You know, it's it's pretty much done, right? I mean, we've got like you say, Alibaba, we've got Amazon, we've got Flipkart, and then we have you know other retailers that are trying to push online as well, like Walmart. But they've not only invested in their front end, which was relatively straightforward, but they've invested heavily in logistics as well. So, you know, you combine that with their enormous financial strength. I mean, for me, they have, you know, a company like Amazon has almost endless access to capital, you know, and, and that, that definitely raises that question, Paul, you know, is that an existential threat to the current status quo in the commodities business? And I would say yes. And part of the reason for that is also that technology is at the heart of their business, you know, which means automation. You know, and when you have automation, you, you create efficiency. And when you create efficiency, you lower costs. So, you know, we see trading companies, for example, and other, you know, producers are starting, you know, have either started or are starting to offshore a lot of their operations to cheaper locations. But for me, that's kind of, you know, it has its limits. And once it's done, then it's done. It doesn't, you can't continue to innovate from there. You can't then move from Manila to Mumbai and then Mumbai to Bangalore and Bangalore and whatever. You know, eventually, you know, my strong belief is that you've got to automate those processes. But at the end of the day, unless you, you know, digitalize the underlying contract and processes, then it will be very, very difficult to create further efficiency. Mm. And what you said for individual companies is, True also for the sector, right? If, if the commodities sector internal rate of innovation is, is slower than other industry, other sectors, then they'll have problems as a, a whole sector. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, at grassroots level, we've seen tremendous innovation in the industry, right? If you look at, for example, fracking and shale, I mean, it was a revolution in oil uh, production. You know, it's it's unlocked enormous capacity at cheap prices. And also in the mining sector, you know, we're also seeing large innovation in drilling techniques, mining techniques, you know, automation, IoT, autonomous vehicles. So, you know, that's all moving to lower cost. And, you know, you mentioned the subject of IoT, which I think, you know, the biggest gains are in the agricultural sector where you can really monitor the food production from when it's in the soil, you know, monitoring moisture levels, soil acidity, et cetera, to when it's been harvested, to when it's being transported and finally delivered to the end user. And again, you can increase the capacity through reducing wastage significantly because these IoT devices, they not only measure, you know, where the goods are, they also measure where the condition of them are. And, you know, that's why I invested in a, in a company called Romby, which is doing multiple devices, which measure heat and humidity and vibration and light and all these different aspects of the physical uh, condition of the cargo as it moves from farm to supermarket. And I find that fascinating. Well, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to, to have you on and, and a fascinating discussion. And uh, yeah, look forward to tracking these changes and, and many of them are well underway already, you know, over the next couple of years. Many thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector, go to www.hcinsider.global, where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offering as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.